The thing is not how you are on your best days, how can you step up on your worst day? When everything is going terrible, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're edgy, how do you treat other people? Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. On this episode, Rich and Bellelli's chat meanders down some dark paths. From the redemption story of an irredeemable character, to finding ourselves trapped in a world void of trust, filled with victims who only want to yell. And upon looking back a few decades, finding a decent man supporting monsters to avoid accusations that would reduce his power. Civilization? Not so civilized sometimes. Here we go. And now... Asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows podcast, begins now. Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of the Drunken Dows podcast. It's an intense one today. Sure is. You're not going to walk out happy. Didn't start that way, but uh, we stumble upon it. My That's fault. Okay. No, I think it's good. I'm just going to need a little while to process it all. Yes. <laughs> I'm just going to go weep a moment. Let's say uh, thank you to the sweet folks sending us wine. Homesellersandmaterawines.com. While I'm at it, shout out to Occult Herbs and Tonics that make these mm. herbs that you can use in the kitchen. They are fantastic. Um... Big thank you to the people uh, supporting the show. Let's mess up their names with my awful pronunciations. Let the pottering begin. Saying thank you to Clayton Payne, Austin Stilwell, Chris Trebal, uh, Stephen McKee, Daniel Fischel, Frederick Kahn, Jonathan Waterloo, Daniel Battis, Stephen Notariani, Ryan Marklin, Aistis Juska, John Vergara, Lisa Robles, Nick Zunik, Nicola Tony, Joseph Lord. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. If you want to join this brave band of heroes, you can either use paypal.me forward slash dbolelli. Uh, it's first letter of my first name, the letter D and then B-O-L-E-L-L-I. You can also use PayPal emailing, uh, like using my email, which is B-O-D-H-I, like B as in boy, O, D as in Daniel, H as in Hawaii, I as in Iowa, 1974 at yahoo.com. So That's the Bodhi tree. The Bodhi tree, 1974. Well, on that note, I have to tell you, I was on a phone call for History on Fire with a sponsor and another podcaster that was getting sponsored. And the lady goes through what we need to do to read this, that, and the other, and then ask any questions. And the other guy goes like, yeah, can I get a different code though? I'm like, sure, that's not a problem. But like his podcast was, I forgot what it is. There was a word overwhelmed in his podcast. So they used that as a code. And he was like, "Uh, based on previous experience, most people can't spell overwhelmed. Can't spell overwhelmed. It's got that H in there, man. It's going to fuck everything up. Exactly. So I was like, (laughs) we got tissues here, but... uh, Oh, excitingly, the Kiva, the Kiva, the Kiva drive continues to to keep going. Everybody seems excited, so let's keep that up. Twenty five dollars can help somebody, a stranger in the world, get paid back, lend again. There's there are loans that have gone out nine times since we've started this. Oh, madness. awesome! Very so, cool. Keep it up, everybody. It sure is appreciated. And a little ray of sunshine where there will be none today. And uh, while you are at it, say thank you to our corporate overlords by uh, shopping when you shop. <laughs> if you do shop via Amazon, you might as well uh, use our link, which gives us a little cut. So why not? That sounds good. Here we go. Put your helmet on.
Okay, my man. Yes, sir. I shall tell you a story. I love stories. Well, actually, the word story is rather fitting because it's about story arcs and storytelling and things. Uh, so I started playing a video game, despite the fact that after playing Ghost of Tsushima, I'm like, what else is there to play? This is as good as it can ever possibly get. So the bar so, is too high at this point. Bar is too high. And they tell me <laughs> to play a game from like four or five years ago, Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, it's set in the did old you play West. the first one? Uh, I did not play the first one. The first one is actually a sequel to this. this the, the two is a prequel, is what happens oh, before okay. the events of Red Dead 1. And... Uh, you know, I start playing it, and of course, like all these games, it's a beautifully shot game, like the graphics are amazing, the setting is beautiful, all that is fantastic. But I don't like anybody, you know. It's like maybe there's one or two characters that are cool, but they don't give them much screen. I mean, it's a story basically of an outlaw gang at the end of the 1800s when the Old West is done. So it's kind of as a depressing vibe because the whole world that they belong to is uh, shutting down. It's now the people in the gang, again, there are a couple of exceptions where I was like, hey, I wish they had done the game about this guy because he's awesome. But the lead character is dull, kind of stupid. He's just a brute. He's just muscle and tough. And But most of the time, he's kind of a dick. Not a dick to such a level that is almost epic. He's just an average tough guy. And so I'm playing and I'm like, what the hell am I playing this for? I mean, it's like, and I remember like a friend uh, who sent, he said, oh man, I played that game. I, when I finish, he made me want to be a better person. And I'm just like, With this game? And, and I'm like 80% <laughs> in the game. And I'm still not seeing it. And it gets to the point where I decide, you know what, I had enough fun with this. I'm done. Just out of curiosity. I'm going to watch the videos on YouTube on the cutscenes of what happens in the last few, uh, um, you know, last few hours of the game and see what's up, right? So I finish the whole thing and I'm just crying like a baby. And then I rewatch all those videos again. And then I watch them again. And then I watch them again. And I spend probably 48 hours minus sleep in between just doing nothing else. Like I have deadlines. I have stuff that I need to get done. And I'm like, no, I want to see that scene again. I've never had a case of a story arc where I'm like, eh, it's okay for 80% of something. And then the way they wrap it up changes everything about what was going on before and suddenly you you get it you know so you have no comparison no doesn't oh my god because if anything endings are hard sure you know you do every other great story usually the ending is like eh, i mean you had to wrap it up somehow so that's fine that wasn't a or sometimes you go like oh that was actually a pretty good ending but that's because they held you until that point and this is okay granted this is not just the ending ending there's it goes over hours, the ending, but because the game is so long that if you're playing for 60 hours, this is maybe just the last 10 hours or something. But the last bit, Jesus, now you understand why you are, because even the, the, the whole Red Dead Redemption, I was like, where's the redemption in this? And then you get it. It's like, it's a story. It's really an arc of redemption where you take this guy who was so, eh, I don't particularly like him. And suddenly you're like, holy shit. Because nah. the whole story, you know, spoiler warning for people who want to play it and uh, five years later and they haven't heard the story. There's a point in the tale where your character, because she, see, stuff is not dark and depressing enough. Your character gets TB. Mm. And so it's clear he's that he's die. about to die. You know, it's months, weeks, whatever it is to live. And he's each so many minutes in the game, he starts coughing more and more. He starts looking more and more ragged and uh, the whole thing. And that's where, like, his whole thing... Because, I mean, they're like even how he got TB is interesting. At the very beginning of the game, one of the things is that he... One of the guys in the gang is, is running a money lending scheme where, you know, you lend money to desperate people and then high interest, and then you go, your character is the one who go beat them up when they don't pay, right? So he goes to this 
poor family trying to scratch a living on a plot of land and you go beat up this guy because he hasn't paid. The guy dies shortly thereafter because of the TB and the stress of everything. The, um, his wife ends up being a hooker in order to support herself and their son. It's a sad-ass story, right? And you are playing the game for hours on end thinking, this is who I'm playing. I'm playing the guy who's facilitating this, you know, contributing to make this happen. And, you know, by the time he, he's kind of seeing certain things that are wrong throughout his whole gang is collapsing the leader of the gang was the guy that you've put this trust in all these years is clearly turning out to be more of a cult leader than a good wise father figure and uh, and then the lead character there's this one dialogue where he runs into this nun that is chat with a few times and he has this dialogue where he's uh, actually vulnerable where he say man i'm afraid you know, I'm a, I've lived a shitty life. I've done nothing good in my life. I've done. And the lady, of course, what's he going to say? Like, no. You're doomed. Is, no, it's like. Enjoy purgatory. No, but she's like, yeah, okay. That was until now. And yes, you don't have much of a future. I got that too. But you still have a little of a future. So whether it's today or a few days or a few weeks or a few months, you can fix it. You still got a choice to how you want to run it. You yeah. know? And I like it because they keep it fairly rough. Like they don't, like when you go to help in dramatic fashion, like the family that you screwed over. Right. It's not like suddenly the lady who ended up in prostitution after you contributed to her husband's death is like, oh, you are forget. She fucking hates your guts. And you are giving all the money you got, whatever, and she still hates your guts. But you're cool with it. You know, your attitude is, yeah, okay, I get it. You don't need to like me. I wouldn't like me if I were you. Still take this goddamn money. Don't say thank you, just walk away, you know? Just let's leave it at that. And so there's an honesty in it where the redemption is not like a Disney version of redemption. It's a very gritty, real kind of deal. But fuck, the way he catches you so by surprise and the way he changes and the way they show that arc and they build the ending and they build... Man, that packs an emotional punch like few things. I've just been completely like Joe Drop effect where I was just like, this is oh, the greatest storytelling I've ever seen. You wow. Know, this is like, I've never seen an arc like this where it's done so well. So, um, I don't know, man. Video games are the new. Like, I can't think of that many movies that do it this well or that. Look at the success of The Last of Us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, I will never watch season two, but because I know how the story goes and it. Oh, you already know? Turns. To me, I'm not going to spoil it, but basically, it un- it's a way to fuck up the beautiful storyline of season one, which is a masterpiece. Season two is a play like. It's so insanely depressing that I'm like, why? You know, the beauty of season one, the beauty of the first game of The Last of Us is the fact that you find beauty in the midst of a horrible context. And in the second game, we take out the beauty. Yeah. So you're like... Oh, Just the horror builds. Why am I even doing that? Like, like, shoot yourself at that point, you know? It's like... So, yeah, that's a fantastic one-season story arc. Not so good, the second one. But, uh, but yeah, this one was unreal. It kind of reminds me of The Last of Us in some way because it's much like The Last of Us where the lead character is this ultra-tough guy who has lived a mostly shitty life, who carries a lot of grief, but has made poor choices and is cold and jaded and hates life. And then it turns around with these acts of love for someone else that he discovered in unexpected fashion, right? And this one is very much the same as the same, which is, if you think about it, is the same also as, um, remember Logan? Yeah. Same storyline in a way, you know, it follows a very similar path. James Mangold, the uh, director, he's uh-huh. doing the new Indiana Jones movie, so there's real hope there. I know. That could be he knows how to do a story. Oh yeah, and this is like the last adventure. So yep, I'm yep. hoping it'll be great. Yep, I'll, they get my they'll get my eight dollars. <laughs> 
Maybe, maybe. But I don't know, man. I'm blown away by the way... Because, again, up until not that long ago, video games were sort of mindless entertainment, which was fun, but, you know, purely mindless entertainment. Then it became kind of fun entertainment with, like, the Assassin's Creed thing where the war they build is so beautiful. They are like, oh, man, I want to get lost in this universe. But the story is still kind of, eh, it's not that great. And now you're running into this production where the storyline is as good as anything ever gets you know it's uh that's fantastic to hear yeah it's as good as the best literature is the good as the best movies is the good as the best tv series and it's an um, interactive experience too so that's yep. kind of where we're at at this point yep, yep it is yep. art form there's no question about oh, that yeah, yeah it's amazing it really is that's why i thought it was um yeah both ghost of tsushima and uh, now red dead are Two of them that I play and they hit me emotionally more than most other stuff I run into. Whether Will you play one now or is there no. Not, there's no real reason? There's no real reason even because, again, I don't really like the storyline of one. One is uh, not as depressing as The Last of Us, but it still adds another layer that I like the story arc of two the way they close it there. It's beautiful. And one feels like I can do without some of the things that happen in there. It is clever that the second one is more gorgeous like that, though. Yeah, it's amazing. So do you look up, are there story writers and that's what they do and then somebody creates the computer magic? I, I don't know how it works now. That I, I mean... Especially something like that. Yeah, I think it's like such a... Because you are talking about things where, I don't know, thousands of people will work on. Yeah, making a 60-hour movie. So I'm not sure the, how the industry works. In, so like, how do you go from idea to finished product? There's a long... Because, yeah, how do you go to, hey, guys, I have this really fun idea for a story. Uh, would you mind putting $80 million in making it happen? It's like, I don't know. You know, I'm not sure how... It better be a good story. Yeah, but I don't even know if it works that way. Like, or it works completely the other way that you're going about it in a. We have this idea for setting for this for that. Okay, you come up with a story for this kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not sure how that process works. Well, the the big movies aren't working right now because essentially these Marvel films they just go off and the action sequences are already figured out. Yeah, and then they just jam a story to try to connect them. Well, and also I think is like in so many movies, we are so used to now seeing a certain depth of character that you just cannot create in 90 minutes that it's very hard to... Yeah. So, you know, when you follow stories over a season, over a season or two or three, and you have 10, 20, 30 hours to tell a story, being able to tell a fantastic story with that involvement in 90 minutes or two hours... Impossible. I mean... Like, take Logan. Logan is a masterpiece, yes. right? They Logan did get is that right. fantastic from beginning to end. They did it in the right time, exactly how you want it to be done. So it's possible to do it. It's hard. But you couldn't have a two-hour Sopranos. No. It wouldn't work as well. Because just that getting to know your friends yeah. over yeah. those first few years and watch yeah. it all swirl apart. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, most stuff. There are stories that you can tell in two hours, Many of them are much better told with a longer arc, with, uh, yeah, giving you that depth of getting into each character and all of it. Of course, the problem with the multi-season thing is that there's a place where creativity has run out, mm -hmm. and obviously that would be the spot to finish it, but the money's still rolling in. So let's do two more seasons. So you keep adding seasons, and you're just like, oh, Jesus Christ, what am I watching? I heard of Vince Gilligan from Breaking Bad was offered at least three more seasons. Right. And, and he like, said, nope. Done. Because they were going to go off, they were meeting the Europeans or something. Yeah. And they could have done that for a couple of years. He's like, nope. I know where it's going. Right. And we're going to finish it off. And by how do he did. I think that's the way you do it. You know, you have a plan and there's an arc and you don't just add the thing to the arc because, you know, you still have an audience. He's like, no, there's a beauty to it that ends here. And you put an end right here. It was funny, too, because I thought that it's just me being, because, uh, you know, I cry at anything. And uh, so I went online, I look on, like, YouTube, like, gamers streaming. As There are whole videos of people who are streaming it, and then as they show, like, maybe the last half hour of the game, 
and everyone is just bawling. They are just crying their eyes out, and that's that's amazing. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. Yeah, they can get me sometime. Dallas Buyers Club wrecked me, man. That's yeah. so sad. Which one? Dallas Buyers Club. It's um, Matthew McConaughey is putting the AIDS cocktail together mm. for the folks, but mm-hmm. you know he's too late for a lot of them. Right. And it's um, Jared Leto of all people. Just he delivered. I know people make fun of a lot of his stuff, but that performance was. I mean, I, I don't want to die. Yeah, and he was hours away from it, and nothing was going to stop it. It was right. just, um, just amazing. But shit, Dungeons and Dragons got me. Yeah, I ain't got to see it. It's we'll good. just we'll let you. Yeah, it's just fun, man. Just do it for like a nerd like me who played that shit back in the day. They had things hidden everywhere. They had the genius point where they're in a big sort of coliseum and different teams are going to go against each other. They went to the trouble to redesign the characters from the cartoon oh, wow. to show up as a rival right, game right, right. for like three shots. Of course. Are and they, uh, is that a movie or is that TV it's series? It's a movie. movie. Okay. Quick, tasty, easy breezy. Cool. Like age appropriate, great for 10 and 12 year olds have fun. Right. Not, not super gnarly or anything. And uh, and Chris Pine, man, he's fun. Michelle Rodriguez beating everybody up. Oh, Michelle Rodriguez is awesome. I could watch her eat cheese great. for two hours, yeah, man. No she's, problem. She's and always. She, you ever seen the f- her first movie, Girl Fight? Oh yeah, that was a masterpiece. Jesus, that was so good. Yeah, she's always she's, been great. Uh, like you could tell right away, like the first shot of her first movie is her eyes. Yeah, just a shot of her face and her eyes for the first twenty seconds. And yep. Damn, she's intense. And she's a barbarian in this, so she's the muscle of the whole Perfect. thing. Perfect. And so fun. Is it great art or anything? Not quite, but it's fun. I didn't fall asleep. That's always a good sign. It's a start. And, uh, yeah. Speaking of actors, and because you mentioned The Last of Us. Uh, so I'm. Uh, uh, somebody sent me a thing that said, if, uh, if you're watching... Um, if your girlfriend is watching uh, The Last of Us and The Mandalorian, she's not your girlfriend anymore. She's Pedro Pascal's girlfriend. Oh, yeah. And that's only because Jason Moma probably lost her along the way at some point. And, but, yeah, uh, and totally true. Savannah is insanely into Pedro Pascal. <laughs> she's just... Uh, she, uh, she tried to watch The Mandalorian, which is not a good show. And is uh, the guy has a mask on the whole time, and it doesn't matter. It's she knows it seems, so she's still watching that. She, we watch a comedy with Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal. That was pretty hilarious. That is funny. That was really funny. And now we're watching Narcos uh, oh. with Pedro Pascal, the one in Colombia. Yeah, she's a huge uh, Pedro Pascal fan. And you know what? I can't be mad. You look at the guy, he seems insane. It's kind of like somebody who tells you that they are crazy about Keanu Reeves. He's like, I get it. The fucker is like sweet, nice, kind, as ev- checks every possible box. So it's like, sure, I yep. get it. And he was the Red Viper in, in Game of Thrones, too. Yeah, yeah, he was. Supposedly so, seems to be a good dude. Totally. So That's it's a good always combo. nice when you see somebody who is a good person with success. I'll be on Team Pedro. Yeah, yeah. He's awesome. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, one quick thing I want to throw out there. We have a partnership with magicmind.co. These guys make a product that I've personally tried, work like a charm. I'm inviting you to give it a thought if this is something that could help you. The problem that Magic Mind tackles is really simple to explain. That feeling when there are 24 hours in a day, there are several more to go before it's time to call it a day, and you feel foggy and tired and sluggish, and that's when normally you start down in about two gallons pot of coffee. That's one way to go about it. There are, I think, better ways, and these may be at least worth an experiment for you to see if this is, uh, is as good as advertised, so you don't have to take my word for it. I've tried it for quite a few days in a row before recording this, and you d- I mean, I felt it on day one. They say wait until day three, day four, until that's when the effects really start kicking in. I felt it on day one, like within minutes of taking it, you definitely get this moment of alertness where things 
things seem clearer, sharper, words come faster, that kind of feeling. I had, uh, out of curiosity, because I was like, okay, that's working for me, but who knows? I had my mom try because she was recently complaining of saying, hey, man, I don't like this. I'm getting older and I'm noticing in, uh, I'm forgetting things, uh, I'm losing words here and there. And she was a fan. She's actually the, the main reason why we have this established partnership with Magic Mind right now is because she's like, give me my next nose. Where is it? <laughs> so clearly worked. So that's the good news. So what is in this magical, mystical compound? We got a lot of stuff and I'm uh, not going to read you the whole thing, but anything from matcha to ashwagandha or however you pronounce it or lion's mane mushrooms cordyceps mushrooms is this natural mental boosting ingredients that should do the trick for you my suggestion is if this fits your needs try it out the website is www.magicmind.co so not com just co forward slash taoist with the T. Magicmind.co forward slash Taoist will automatically get your discount going. And uh, check it out. And if you guys do, I would love to hear what you think. of acting though I have been recently reminded that we are all props in somebody else's movie no doubt or rather more than props unwilling cast members <laughs> in somebody else's movie man last few days check this out so one thing this is a minor one but I thought he was fun in contrast like I'm looking at some reviews of history on fire and somebody said that I hate white people I hate the west and I romanticize, among other shit, he said, I romanticize the Aztecs, which if you listen to my series that I did on Spaniards versus Aztecs, I take no prisoners on that one. I go hard against both the shit that the Spaniards did and the shit that the Aztecs did. There's zero romanticizing. I'm saying these fucking guys were a militaristic, oppressive, hierarchical society that took slaves, did horrible human there's nothing where I'm putting, but somehow I'm an Aztec lover and I hate white people. And I'm like, okay, that's, I guess that's where it's at. And that's where I usually get it from, is usually from uh, right-wing audiences that don't like me. And then, of course, just to remind you that there's balance in the universe, I got into an interesting... Uh, <laughs> So check this out. Dan Carlin did an episode of... He did a hardcore history addendum recently. And then he talked about uh, oral history. And he said our oral history is fantastic because, I mean, sometimes you don't have anything else. And so there's a lot of value in oral history. But also, let's be real, oral history is like playing telephone for several generations. So, of course, there's room for 10 zillion mistakes. Somebody on Twitter didn't like it, so they got into it and basically telling him how he uh, hates indigenous cultures. I don't think that's what he said. No. And then uh, Dan, being a nice guy and having the sweet delusion that you can talk to people and they will understand, you try to explain himself. And the more he tried to explain himself, the more this one person got his five friends in, who got their 20, who got their 50. And before you know it, he was just a straight-up lynch mob. And so when I jumped in as a fuck you, because I was like, you know, I fucking, I've worked in American Indian studies for over 20 years. I've done a ton of my work on native culture. All the people I know who know who Dan Carly is, like his work, nobody has an issue with it. So I was telling Dan, just let these people talk. That's obviously bullshit to anybody. Of course, that meant now... Your it, turn. Within about two tweets, he was... the. General consensus is that I'm a white supremacist who hates indigenous people. And uh, I think I got several times uh, go back to Europe, you colonizer. Oh. And I was like, I should introduce you to my friend who think that I hate white people and uh, I romanticize the Aztecs. You guys should talk to each other because I'm like, 
which one am I? Am I the one who hates white people or am I the white supremacist? Because I would be a really weird white supremacist if I'm a self-hate. It's like, <laughs> what's going on here, you know? And the reality is that it was clear that these people mean it. They think they are right. They see you in a certain light. And it's funny because, you know, when somebody's mad at you for something you have done or something you have actually said, it's like, well, you know, there, there's a legitimate disagreement here. They got me. But it's like, you are mad because you cast me in your move into a role that has nothing to do with who I am or what I'm saying. But it doesn't matter how many times I'm telling you that that's not what I'm saying. It just goes, it reminds me, I remember back in 2016 when there was uh, Clinton versus Trump. Right. I remember I mentioned how I thought that Trump was a piece of shit. And I got this angry message from somebody going off about, you fucking Hillary Clinton lovers, you'll see how she's going to crash. I'm like, dude, I despise Hillary Clinton. I think she's an awful human being. So no, I'm not a Clinton supporter by any stretch of the imagination. But you said that Trump sucks. I'm like, yeah, Trump sucks. I, I'll say it again if you need. If it wasn't clear the first time. <laughs> so you fucking Hillary Clinton. I'm like, no, I just told you I don't like. Didn't didn't matter how many times I said it. I was. Uh, if you don't like my guy, you must love I, the other. I way. was in the trenches with Hillary and doing, uh, and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is what I mean about unwilling cast member in somebody else's movie, right? It's like, you decided I'm this person and no amount of evidence to the contrary is going to get the discussion going that I'm not. And so I'm uh, the white-hating white supremacist, apparently. That's my latest. That's going to be a lot to handle in the days going forward. And a funny thing is for out of curiosity, because I'm like, who are the people who can just accuse at random through reality that bad and be convinced of it? And you know, I see the when I typically get it from the right is all like MAGA, American flag, uh, USA, USA kind of thing. And then I look at the other side, and it was hilarious. Because, I mean, this is in their Twitter bio, not exactly a deep research, right? <laughs> First thing they list is their, minor as their status as an ethnic minority. Second thing is usually gay, lesbian, queer, trans, something. So minority status sexually. Uh Usually, not often, but well, sorry, let me rephrase. Not always, but often enough, like 30, 40% of the people had listed in their bio disabled. Because again, that's another batch of honor because it's like, hey, you see, I'm an oppressed minority in that department as well. So the whole thing was about victimhood, it was about I, I am a victim uh, because of skin color, because of, because of this, that, and the other. I'm a victim of the oppressors. And Clearly, you are the oppressor, and you're like, okay, that was interesting. That was, um, and I guess I was chuckling right now. I wanted to finish the sentence, not to get sidetracked, but I was chuckling when I mentioned skin color because uh, a bunch of this one, this was a discussion with quote unquote natives. Every other picture is somebody who's blonde and blue eyed, and I'm like, and they're like in the scrum with everybody. And they're like, how dare you say I'm not native went to somebody else? I didn't say it, but like uh, you know, like your stereotypical idea of how we are supposed to look is like just because some Norwegian raped my grandmother in the seventeen hundreds, and I'm like <laughs> I hate to inform you, but your understanding of genetics is about as good as your understanding of oral history. Because if you think that one Norwegian guy in the 1700s make you, you could apply for membership in the KKK today and nobody would bat an eyelash. I, a little more blood than that. I get the feeling that you're Indian, and I'm not questioning identity because that's a whole other, but your native DNA could disappear with a good nosebleed you know it's like <laughs> let's be real here come on and and i almost find it insulting because it's like dude anywhere you go you pass for white don't fucking talk to me about your oppressed status as uh, just don't it's uh 
So yeah, that that made it even funnier in a weird odd way. But um, do they want to be victims? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, even why would you claim? Your fucking Twitter bio, everything you write is about how you're a victim on every possible level, and it's all. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm sensing a pattern here, you know? And, uh, and I talked to Dan Carlin afterwards, and yeah, he was bummed because uh, he holds on very strongly to the idea that he wants to understand people, he wants to be understood, he wants to have dialogue, he wants to. And he was saying, that was like quicksand. Every single thing I said got turned around in something I didn't say that made it worse. And I'm like, I'm desperately trying to come across as a human being and interact on a human level. And he's like, nope, gets progressively worse at each step. And I was like, yeah, I think there's a place where you cut your losses and you realize that. Not going to win this one. Yeah, because you and realize what would you that. you really win anyway? Some people are not there for dialogue. Yeah. They are there because they want to yell at the bad guy in their movie. And you just happen to have been cast as the bad guy in their movie. So you trying to argue that you're the good guy or you behave like the good guy is only going to mess with their movie. And they are not going <laughs> to like it. Don't so, mess with my movie! Exactly. It's like, can't you fucking be a white supremacist already? Yell at me and tell me dirty insults about my ethnicity call me names that's what they are looking for you know they're like okay man i would have much you really needed to cast me for this aren't there like 10 zillion real white supremacists who are being more than happy, happy to yell at you for that you yeah why the hell do you want me for this role you know <laughs> this bizarre i ran across some other internet skullduggery the other day do tell a spoiler on a long-running series 30 minutes after the first airing oh that's a little wide open yeah the only thing i could figure this fellow is an older guy and may still be of the belief that you know i watched it at the right time yeah you know, yeah hill street blues was over in the 90s um it wasn't going to run again. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean. But this was like huge, just something nobody knew, something nobody saw coming, and I must admit, I was not happy no. to see that there no. wrecking my show. Yeah, that's fucked up. Why they want to be like that? Even the dogs are pissed. Yeah, even the dog is angry about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's fucked up, because it's, um, yeah, I wonder what, what the mentality is there. Um, and didn't take it down. Just yeah. left it. Uh-huh. People, because people, people definitely let him know. Spo- yeah. Spoilers much. But and I do, you know, older kind of made it's the only thing that even made any little bit of sense that mm-hmm. uh, I watch my program when it comes on and yeah, it's yeah. over ten o'clock. And if you hadn't seen it, I guess what you're was out it? Of luck. Social media or Facebook yeah. or it was Facebook? Facebook, yeah. And a big picture and no sort of warning and just yeah. I can't believe you just did that. Yeah, because I didn't know. I mean, I'm at a place where I don't... Half of the time, spoilers don't bother me. Like, I don't care if I know where it's going. I just want to... Because ultimately, how it's done is going to make all the difference. But still, you know, that's me. Not necessarily everybody's going to feel that way, so don't, do, don't spoil it for them if they... Especially, again, if it's something that came out five years ago, okay, if you wanted, you would have seen it by now. You could have caught up by now. Yeah, but... But I go back to Red Wedding. Mm-hmm. There were millions of book readers. Yep. And that book had been out for nine, ten years at that yeah, point. Yeah, and they, they did not whisper... Kept their mouth shut, yes. Come on. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. not asking too much, and it was an amazing thing, too. Yeah. Yep. So maybe we just, we're losing all our capacities. Yeah, that more and more, is, uh, I want to be first to tell. Right. I don't, I don't know if they feel some sort of reward or or just being a dick. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> I mean, that's a good possibility as well. But it just seemed more ignorant than anything. Probably, but still. Still fucked up. Take five minutes to think about it, man. Let me throw at you something else. I would love your opinion. Okay. You know how recently Mr. Jimmy Carter died? And didn't he die? Thought what? he died. He's in hospice. Did he die? I, I could have missed it. Has he been in hospice that long? Because he, he has been in hospice for quite a while by now. 
I think they're finally, let's see. I don't think he's dead, though. Huh. Hospice announcement was February 18th, so that's a little while. No, maybe he's still alive. Well, maybe not by the time we release this episode. Exactly. So it's coming for it's, sure. It's there, right? Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I saw about Carter articles, because there was more written about him and stuff, is that he really comes across, and again, you can never tell on a human being from a distance and all, but he really comes across as a nice human being. Yeah. You know, he seemed like a dude who has done a lot of good for a lot of people who really cares. And so you're like, oh, sweet, you know, too bad he wasn't president for longer, good human being and stuff. So lately I've been studying, because research for History on Fire, I've been studying El Salvador in the 1980s a lot. 70s and 80s, actually. So that covers also when Carter was president because he finished his term and, and, you know, he he got out at the end of the 1980s. And let's put it that way. To say that it doesn't come across well is to putting it very mildly. Is, is, Is international stuff? Yeah, I mean, I'm not even talking about everything else. I'm talking about this one issue that I actually know a lot about because I've been doing a ton of research. I mean, it's just... To give you an example, so Salvador in the 1980s, well, the super elevator pitch quick version of El Salvador. El Salvador, like many places in Latin America, has been uh, in the hands of very few families who control all the land and all the economy. And the overwhelming majority of the people are not like what we say here, the 1%. But, you know, yeah, the 1% have everything, but people still have their homes, semi-comfortable living for many people. Not everybody, of course, but decent numbers. But not there. El Salvador, you're talking about real fucking deep poverty, where enormous percentage of the population is on the brink of starvation, burying their kids along the way. So a level of inequality that's brutal, right? And throughout its history, any time in the 20th century when somebody say, hey, would you mind if you don't, you know, can you throw us two bones so that our kids survive and we kept being slaves for you in a way that, but we are a lot, is usually fucking communists, go burn their village, pull out their entrails, rape their wives and skewer their kids on bayonets kind of thing. And I'm not. These are not flowery images. This is literally what happens. So throughout the 20th century, anybody who even vaguely asks for the most minimum degree of justice gets demolished, right? There's, uh, in the 1930s, there's something called La Matanza, which is the killing, where they wipe out 30,000 people in an insurrection. And, and, you know, by the 1970s, is the same story. So you have... Um, and I start like my entry point in this was studying the life of this guy, Archbishop Romero. Romero became the Archbishop of El Salvador precisely because he was a fairly conservative guy. And so they wanted somebody who was more on that side of the equation. But as conservative as he was, he still feel like, hey, man, you need to take care of the poor. That's what the Gospels tell us. That's what the church is supposed to be about. Sure. If we don't take care of the poor, we're not a church. We're not really Christian. So what's saying that you might as well have posters of Stalin in your house and be screaming, you are a Soviet agent. And he's like, no, I'm a fucking Catholic archbishop, fairly conservative that. Nope, uh, you must be an uh, evil communist because anybody who's not saying that we have the right to oppress 99% of the population with no recourse is a communist. And so Romero keeps trying to work. He's not endorsing the guerrilla that exists uh, against the government because they are hardcore Marxists and stuff. He's just saying, hey, guys, can we... I mean, even precisely because you don't want to hand out the country to the Marxist group... Can you provide a minimum degree of social justice that will allow the system to function and people not to be seduced by communist ideology? Can we just do that? Nope. Fucking communist. Yeah. So he, at one point, he writes Carter saying, please stop sending money to my government because they are using it to finance death squads. They are massacring the population on a daily basis. You know, there are dead bodies left on the street all the time. 
torture things, terrible things. So please don't do that. Carter never bothers to respond. A month later, uh, while he's celebrating Mass, uh, gunmen walk into the church and shoot Romero dead. And so what you see is that Carter, the good guy Carter, the, came onto the scene preaching about how he was going to start this thing about human rights and he wasn't going to support murderous regimes. He ends up financing death squads who commit the worst atrocities in Central America. And the only difference with what happens with Reagan is that Carter was uh, a reluctant endorser of death squads, whereas Reagan is an enthusiastic endorser of death squads. So Carter goes like, hey, guys, you really should respect human rights. They laugh in his face. They say, yeah, right. We are fighting communism. Are, are you a communist? Are you... Carter goes, I, I am sorry, I meant here is a few million dollars for you guys. I didn't mean it that way. It's like, mm. clearly we all hate those dirty communists. And uh, and so at the end of the day, he does the same shit. You know, then Reagan takes off the mask and he's like, why are we even, what is this wimpy ass shit that you complain and tell them to respect? Fuck human rights. Let's kill them all, these guys. That's just how we do it. In order to keep the American empire going, we need to do what needs to be done. So... But the difference is like, it's like having a guy who ran uh, the concentration camps who killed 500 people a day and the guy who killed 10,000 people a day. Now, if you ask me to vote, I'll pick the 500 people a day. But that doesn't make him a good guy. You know what I mean? He's still a goddamn monster at the end of the day. Wow. What are you thinking behind that was? I have no idea. <sighs> was there so much? Were we so trying to get the proxy war going down there that ended up with... Iran-Contra and all that? Do you think those were the early steps that they wanted to mix it up? So they had to leave it that way? There had to be some reason. That's almost, it's almost shocking. So for that, an old man that's been building houses, maybe he's trying to make up for it at this point. Yeah, financing that squads. So that sent me through a rabbit hole where I started thinking, okay, so maybe it's just that you cannot be the head of uh, what's essentially an empire being a good guy like it doesn't even matter if you are a good guy if you got to that point and you ran the show you're gonna be a monster they yeah, just told that is. i mean that's true at that point especially with the military that spread over the entire planet and then you realize okay well that's not just us because while uh, as a rage against the machine uh, album cover teaches you while if you look at american policy over the past hundred some years yeah it is an evil empire so has been the Soviet Union, so is Russia today, so is China, so is like any, like you look at just about every other state with real power, they are monsters. Different degrees, some even more than others. And then you go like, okay, so all heads of state in all large nations are monsters. And then you go deeper and it's like, yeah, but not just today throughout history like if you look at ancient roman history full of the roman republic it was the exact same shit carbon copy overreach overspend yeah and screw murdering vicious violence anybody who try to advocate a slightly different approach because and why is that because again if it's one nation or one pre you can blame it on a bad president no it's not a bad president this is like doing evil shit is not a bug in this is the feature of this and so it's not one bad president, it's the entirety of US politics. It's not just US politics, it's the entirety of just about every nation who has power politics. And it's not just the entirety of every nation that has power today, it's the entirety of every nation that has power throughout history. history. And so you start realizing that the problem is not one bad politician or one bad nation or one bad period in time, it's that civilizations are a bad system which by definition are built on extreme hierarchy are going to be inevitably running a place that whoever has the power their number one goal is to make sure that they get to squeeze every last they keep their power they maximize their power they'll continue their power and that's how the game is run so then you're like okay they are all to some degree or another fucking awful 
you know like when you run that game you cannot run an awful game being again even if you are by a random chance you make it as a semi-nice human being to that spot the difference is going to be very mild at best and so you're like okay so it's a bit of a bigger problem that was one thing is not about a political party alone and I, by this i'm not trying to sweep the differences under the rug because again i prefer the guy who kills 500 people a day to the one that kills 10,000 you know but like but at the end of the day we're not really pointing in a different direction we're pointing in the same direction to different degrees of intensity and horror that's about the extent of it you know and so that's where you go like okay the circles that indicate how big the problem is quickly grow so big they are like okay so much bigger than individuals or even one particular historical time or that's just what power does power squashes any alternative that doesn't lead to because ultimately who's wielding the power they are the people who are benefiting the most from a system and you're asking them to change that system oh no no thank you why would they you know it's not how it works and so that sent me down uh, uh were you searching for something where that didn't exist yeah i mean not there, i was it? kind of under the sweet illusion of um I mean, even if you look at U.S., you know, it's like some presidents are objectively a little better than others. But you look at the overall arch of what the government is about, what it's trying to do, the power structure is trying to maintain. You can put anybody in there and it's not going to change that power structure, you know. No, and it's still the leakiness of it all it's all going to be by the time the one drop gets to those that need it yeah it's so it's, diluted and so taken advantage of that there's barely anything left and that's where i guess it's like i'm not again i'm not saying you know they are all the same exactly equal. i'm not you know there are differences in evil there are practical differences again if you have uh German in the hands of hitler or german in the hands of some shitty politician who keeps some bad things going it's a big difference, you know. But let's have no illusion about there are good guys in this game, you know. There are no good guys. There are some people and systems who are less awful than others. But if fucking Jimmy Carter, who by every metric you can judge, is one of the nicest guys who ever made it to the presidency in probably the whole century, if not longer, if he ends up being a guy who rationalizes death squads and send money to the people who grab women out of houses to gang rape them, murder their children in front of their eyes. If that Jimmy Carter is the one who does this stuff... There's no hope. Yeah, you go like... You know, speaking of good is a very relative term at that oh. point. That's very difficult information to process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... It kind of, it kind of makes you wonder about uh, civilization as a whole. You know, a system that's built on uh, that kind of hierarchy. And the problem is that even when people like you take the whole communist idea, which is the elimination of hierarchy, is a joke because it never works that way. No, always you somebody still have uh, the people. And, and so, and it's not. So at the end of the day, it's like. All power got to be used by individuals who are usually trying to maximize their gig. You know, it's like even if you watch, um, you, I was watching, I was telling you, I was watching Narcos recently, so I'm fascinated with the Pablo Escobar story, which I probably want to do for History on Fire at some point. I mean, Escobar on one hand is like building hospitals for people, doing all this Robin Hood stuff to come across as the good guy. And then grandma it's just, television while you're here. And then he's just demolishing, not just murdering opponents, but like callously having people, innocent people, get slaughtered for, in the name of profit. And there's never an end point. You know, there's never a point where Escobar say, okay, I made $30 billion. That's enough. I can retire because at that point you can never retire. You're afraid because if you lose power, if you lose a tiny bit of power, there will be somebody who put a bullet in your head. Mm. And so you have to keep playing the game forever. And 
it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating. It's a very fascinating. Is it the way we're programmed? I mean, is I that human nature? I, like, what, now, I think that, now that I've got some, I want more. I think it's human nature in a certain system. It's kind of like, remember when we were talking about the rat experiments of the rat who hit the button to shoot cocaine until they die? Because yep. they are living in a shitty cage. So, yeah, shoot me with cocaine all day long and, yeah, I'll die. To me, like the system we have designed, and I've been by the system, I don't mean just the American, I mean civilization, the way yep. it's been designed, is the equivalent of that rat park. Uh, or rather, before they turn it into a rat park, because that was the other experiment, when they put the rats in this happy park, people do cocaine once, and then the rats are like, okay, that was fun, but I have so much other stuff to live for that I don't need to hit it constantly. And that's where we're at. We're relieving misery through all these terrible ways. I mean, the good thing is that you realize that there are other options. That is not human nature itself. It's human nature within a context that does it. On the other hand, the context is so big that it's not exactly... It's like, okay, here is some homework for you. Please redesign civilization. Okay. And it's just like... Okay, give me a second here, because it's just a tiny bit bigger than my pay scale here. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting one, you know. It's like it really got me thinking on a level that again I was I thought I was studying El Salvador in the eighties, and I realized no, I'm looking at the entirety of human civilization in uh, in a bigger way. So that's, and granted, again, some periods, some places, way better than others, for sure. But interesting dynamics, to say the least. Do you think I'm way off? Like, is there, because again, this is just me drawing conclusions from stuff that I kept researching. And the more I researched, the more I was like, oh, shit, this is looking uglier by the second. I, there's no reason I think it's not true. I mean, it just makes sense. Mm. You know, Obama sure liked Running them drones. Yeah. You don't ever hear about that. Yeah. And you're right. It's just a position. Or is it the thing where, oh, congratulations, Mr. President. There's a few things we'd like to speak to you now. Yeah. They take you on the tour. Yeah, because, I mean, at that point, and I think in that regard, okay, so there are ways in which people are, they could, run, they could have run the show differently, right? Like, for example, the problem... One of the problems with U.S. foreign... Like, why did Carter end up making those shitty choices? Yeah. Because, again, do I think that Carter sits down and say, I want to finance the rapists and murderers of Central America? No, he, that's not what he wants. He ends up doing it because he thinks that if he doesn't do that, communism will win, he'll get blamed for it, and Soviet-style regimes are fucking awful. So the problem is your strategy sucks because if your idea of defeating communism is financing right-wing death squads how are you any better you know it's like how about instead uh, what romero was advocating how about instead you improve the conditions for enough the population enough that no you haven't created some communist utopia or communist nightmare you have simply created a system that oppresses people 50% less. People aren't starving. It's still built on exploitation, but it's a much kinder exploitation. Now... I prefer some kinder exploitation, right? please. <laughs> exactly. Now, you know, the hardcore Marxist guerrilla is going to have a much harder time recruiting people to his side because people have a relatively better life. It's like, may not be ideal, but it's all right. It's not bad. You know, you could have done that. That would have deflated all the... Because you think like all the zillions of people in the world who join communist movement is because, you know, some fucking Salvadorian peasant didn't need to read Karl Marx to realize they were oppressed. You know, it's <laughs> right. like everything in their life screamed that. So they were not Marxist. They were... But if they come ask you for some help in getting some justice, you shoot him in the face. So guess where he's going to go? To the guy who are your enemy, we're going to be like, hey, it's because of the... So in, by playing the cards that way, you're actually feeding the enemy more than anything you could do. You know, you're strengthening communism. You're not weakening it. You're strengthening it in a big way. 
And so that's where to me is also like strategy shit. And the strategy, I get it, is because the people who pay your salary, the people who run the show, the bosses of industry in El Salvador, the great landowners, they are in a place where they feel strong enough that if you say, hey, you need to give up uh, 20% of your profits to still be filthy rich and have what you want, but make a more stable system, they'll say, fuck you. No way. No, I'm not doing that. Why would I do such a exactly. thing? Exactly. And so because those are the people who pull the strings, then you go like, okay, I guess. And anybody who's against it is a communist. Because that's the way the Illuminati wants it. Yeah, pretty much. So I thought it was, uh, yeah, this is a, when I do the El Salvador episode, it's going to be a rare episode where I give a content warning. Because uh, I know, I mean, the brutality are, is that insane. There are people who listen to which history on fire with their kids, which I think is a dangerous proposition. But you know, <laughs> occasionally some episodes are fine, some less so. This is one of those that I'm like, no, you know, I have the most permissive standards about sex and violence. There are. I watch uh, Conan the Barbarian with his when she was five. I'll still tell you, don't do it. Because it's, I mean, it's like one of the last History on Fire episodes released was Wounded Knee, which was heavy as hell. That's Disneyland, comparatively speaking. How's that level of darkness maintained? In is which it, way? Well, your, your, your death squads, they, they must love what they do. Yeah, I mean, it's... They'll get a rush out of it, at least. Oh, okay. And so here is an interesting history one. Fast forward to these days, actually it's slightly less so because they got lots of wind taken out of their sails, but fast forward to very recently and even up until Trump presidency there was the whole uh, MS-13, El Salvador ex exporting these vicious violent gangs. Right. Backtrack a second. Where do you think the gangs came from? They came from people who have been fucking terrorized during the civil war both the ones getting slaughtered and seeing all their families murdered in the most vicious way right. and the ones doing the killing all of those migrating to us as a result of the fact that their country turned into an absolute shit they are poor they come from an a history of extreme violence and they are poor in la what do you think is gonna happen same as happening back at home and now you get like crazy violent gangs who learn their trade through decades and decades of civil war and so it's like well they didn't they weren't born out of anything you know they were they weren't born out of a rock there there's a reason why they exist there's a reason why they became the way they are and so in fact when you ask about what keeps it going it's like if that's what you grew up around if that's the violence you grew up around self-perpetuating at that point absolutely because there's even a generational trauma at that point, you know. It's like, yeah, try to change that culturally. It's not an easy thing to do. I was asking some Mexican friends about the whole cartel issue. Yep. Do we get? Do you think we get a twisted version of that? Do you think they sort of take care of their territories, or are they the same madmen, or is there some of each? You think? I think. I mean. You know, if you're a cartel, if you're smart, you Take don't, care of everybody. Yeah, you don't shit in your own neighborhood. You try, But at the end of the day, A, you have to be smart, which is not always the case. And B, that's only as long as it's convenient. And sometimes it's not convenient. And so it's kind of like the Pablo Escobar thing, right? Oh, it's right. convenient. I People love me because I build their hospitals, their houses and shit. And then I'm going to recruit these poor bastard to go on a plane i tell him that he's there to record a conversation and when he pressed the button the whole plane explode killing him and everybody else in the process right. uh, yeah <laughs> that's why it's a trip because watching escobar at plays um he's so obviously evil like deep down terrible person but the way they show the story and the way he actually was He's an absolute monster in plenty of context. And then he's a loving family man who adores his kids, who's sweet to his wife, who uh, uh, does, throws money around, helping the lives of a ton of poor Colombians. And they're like, oh, so he's sweet. And then you remember, no, he's not. He's a monster. You know, wow. he's still... Just trying to keep it spinning. Yeah, that's... That's my honeysuckle. <laughs> 
I probably do. Oh, yeah, right there. There you go. I, I needed something positive. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Is that all a part of the trick? That you had to experience the madness to get your lessons learned in this visit? I don't know. I'm not sure. I would like to think so. That would be nice. Wouldn't it be cool? Like, this is a giant video game where the nasty, dark, terrible things you go back and go like, oh, there was a purpose to it all. Okay, that puts it in person. It's like my Red Dead Redemption vibe, yeah. you know? It's like Just go to get to the end. Yeah, now it changes the whole perspective on everything. Okay, okay, okay. So it wasn't so bad. Yeah, that would be nice. I'm down for that. That's full circle right there. That's the end of another fun episode <laughs> of the Dragon Dallas Podcast. I broke reach. Shit. I'm sorry. I did not mean to. I wasn't ready for the Jimmy Carter stuff. I'm sorry. I sort of had hope and had that on a pedestal a bit, and I'm sure it's all true. I am very, very, very sorry. It still seems like he's probably pretty nice if you're not Salvadorian. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> <Ay, ay, ay. laughs> yeah, Anyway. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you down the road, or maybe not. We'll try really hard to do something that's, well, you know, that's a pretty low bar to say that's more or less depressing than this. So we're going to try to do something a little more on the upbeat side. Yeah, there's fun um, things brewing right now. Yeah, I mean, we had a great episode last time with Balloon Guy. It was fantastic. Don't deserve two in a row. Adi was happy. and So, you know, (laughs) these are yin yang. You got a happy one. Now you got a different one. Now the pressure's on. Have a great week, everybody. One day the rod shall teach you. D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. Good shit. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Daniele at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! All right, let's go to rehearsal. We'll roll on this one. <laughs>